Good day. Welcome to another episode of the Audible Local Ledger Reads to the Blind podcast. You can get more information at audiblelocalledger.org. Stay tuned for today's reading. Hi, I'm Libby, and I'll be reading you today's Cape Cod Times, dated Friday, March 1st, 2024. Today's weather outlook looks nice. It will reach almost 40 and will be sunny and partly cloudy tonight with lows dipping down into the low 30s. Over the weekend, however, the rain is back and it looks like it will rain Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Highs will reach into the low 50s and at night it will get down into the mid 40s. By special request from a few of our faithful listeners, we now present the lottery numbers. In Thursday's number games, for the midday drawing, we have numbers 8, 8, 8, and 7. The evening drawing that day, numbers were 5, 9, 0, and 3. For Thursday's mass cash drawing, we have numbers 13, 19, 20, 21, and 28. For the Powerball drawing on Wednesday, we have numbers 16, 26, 29, 38, 50, and the extra ball of 6. And finally, for the Mega Millions drawing last Tuesday, we have numbers 6, 18, 26, 27, 49, and the extra ball of number 4. The lead story on today's newspaper on page 1 is headlined, Women of the Year, Fighting to Ban Plastic Bottles One at a Time. By Rachel Devaney of the Cape Cod Times. Madhavi Venkatesan is one of USA Today's Women of the Year, a recognition of women who have significantly influenced their communities and across the country. You can meet all of this year's honorees at the USA Today website. Late last year, Madhavi Venkatesan was driving toward Boston from Cape Cod and saw a driver chuck a muffin out their vehicle's window. The muffin, she said, its wrapper still attached, lay squarely in the middle of the road. As the driver continued on their way, Venkatesan, founder and executive director of Sustainable Practices, an environmental action group, pulled over, scooped up the treat, and dropped it into a nearby trash bin. First of all, Venkatesan said during a January interview that the driver was littering. Second, the offender created a potential death instrument for an animal, which could have run into the highway to eat the muffin, she said. How we treat animals and the earth is eventually going to be the way we treat ourselves, said Venkatesan, a faculty member in the Department of Economics at Northeastern University. The decency and the compassion that you have shows how much regard you have. For the most vulnerable... With economics and sustainability in mind, Venkatesan founded Sustainable Practices in 2016. Along with her nonprofit's team, she has seemingly broken the seal on plastic initiatives throughout Cape Cod and the islands. In 2019, Sustainable Practices initiated a municipal plastic bottle ban, which focused on eliminating non-emergency single-use plastic bottles by town governments, and the sale of beverages in single-use plastic containers on municipal property across Barnstable County. By June 2021, all 15 towns on the Cape had the policy in place. 
In 2020, the group also initiated a commercial single-use plastic water bottle ban, which called for the prohibiting the sale of non-carbonated, non-flavored water in single-use plastic bottles of less than one gallon in size within town jurisdictions. By 2023, a commercial ban went into effect in nine towns, including Brewster, Chatham, Eastham, Falmouth, Harwich, Orleans, Provincetown, Wellfleet, and Yarmouth. In January, Governor Maura Healey recognized sustainable practices with a citation, recognizing the organization's bottle ban efforts. On a state level, Healy followed the organization's lead in September, announcing she would sign an executive order banning the purchase of single-use plastic bottles by state agencies. We've drawn attention to the single-use plastic issue, but there remains much work ahead, said Venkatesen. Part of that work is raising awareness about the realities of recycling and bottle bills, which obscure the issue of plastic disposal and increased plastic in the environment, she said. Single-use plastic is rarely recycled into an originating product. It's downcycled. This means more plastic is added to our environment as replacements are created. Venkatesan, who was born in India, grew up in Illinois and now lives in Brewster, said society needs to think about how economics and sustainability connect and how the current economic system is affecting the future for all of the Earth's inhabitants. Most of us are purchasing and behaving based on what's being marketed to us, said Venkatesan. But the system is broken. If we don't inspire critical engagement, we will continue to contribute to our own existential threat. Venkatesan answered the questions following during an in-person interview. The conversation was edited for length and clarity. Who paved the way for you? It's everybody from Ms. Matilda, who was my kindergarten teacher at Lads and Lassies Preschool in Evanston, Illinois, to Gerald Early, who was the director of the African American Studies Department at Washington University in St. Louis. He saw my dissertation when I was an assistant professor of business at Fisk, and he asked me to give a talk at Washington University. That changed the course of my life because I met my now ex-husband in St. Louis. We moved to New York, and I became an investor relations officer, which started my entire career path in CSR, or Corporate Social Responsibility. Eventually, I divorced my husband and became a single parent and met a man to whom I became engaged. He was the reason I came to Brewster for the first time and fell in love with Cape Cod. All of these people, among many others, are a part of my journey. Each step I took, I didn't know what doors would open for me but I wake up every day and I'm grateful. What is your proudest moment? When my son was in middle school, he was in a school contest. Part of that process was answering questions on stage. I wasn't supposed to be there. I was a single parent and I was commuting from the Cape to my work in Boston so he could stay in school in Brewster. I thought I had a meeting for work, but it ended up that I could stay. I sat in the balcony area and watched as he made it through to the very end of the contest. It was just him and one other person left on stage. When he answered the questions he was asked, I felt like if I had jumped off that balcony, I could have flown. It meant a lot to me that I could be there for him and for myself. Do you have a lowest moment? There are two. The first is when I lost my father in 2011. He died of liver cancer. My parents had gone to India and he was diagnosed there. When he came back, he was emaciated. 
It was then that I recognized how much my father meant to me. I was so busy taking care of my son and rushing through the day today that I was just surviving. When he was gone, I quit my job at the Harford Financial Services Group and took a year and a half off. I had no job and I was depressed and so unhappy. The second lowest moment is when I got a phone call that my mother was in the hospital in September of 2022. I drove straight from Cape Cod to Knoxville, Tennessee and stayed with my mother. She never recovered and passed away in the hospital. I'm an only child, but I have family. My mother has sisters and she had friends, but I did everything alone. I cleaned out the house alone and took care of everything myself. When I lost my mother, I became an orphan. Everyone is going to lose somebody. None of us are going to outlive this, but through my pain, I recognized that I needed to appreciate what I have when I have it. What is the definition of courage? Conviction, perseverance, resilience, no matter what happens to set you back, you have to be courageous to move forward because you believe in what you're doing. These three words are what I think of in relation to the nonprofit work that we do. It takes so much to maintain the status quo. Change is hard, primarily because most people don't want to have to make any changes. The ugly side of people can come out. Unfortunately, I have people say hurtful things to me in person and through social media about the work sustainable practice does. Despite that, we keep going. Is there a guiding principle or mantra you tell yourself? It changes every year, and it depends on the year and the desire and the focus of that time. When I was young, my life centered around a song. When I did my doctoral dissertation, my song was Natalie Merchant's song, Wonder. I played it over and over again so that I could get the work done. I was the wonder. Now, Ambrosia's You're the Only Woman is a love song to myself. Who do you look up to? No one. I look up to myself. Because why would I want to set my standards so low? When I give a rubric to my students and tell them what needs to be done, then that's all they're going to do. When you give a general assignment, you promote their creativity and they outshine what your expectations could ever be. I guess that's how I've chosen to live my life. I don't want to be like anybody but me. How do you overcome adversity? As we've organized plastic reduction initiatives, people have verbally and through social media attacked sustainable practices. But we've managed to form a cohesive group. No one from sustainable practices goes to any events by themselves. It's easier to attack an individual than it is to attack a group. Cohesion within our group helps us overcome adversity. If there's something that happens, I can go back and talk to them because they recognize and know what we're trying to accomplish. We have that commonality. On a personal level, everyone has a choice when bad things happen. You can be bitter or you can look at things another way. I chose not to be bitter a long time ago. What advice would you give your younger self? To remember that I'm going to die. When you're young, you feel like you have all the time in the world and you squander it. I realized that I would have a much more fulfilled existence if I recognized that my time is limited. I don't want to waste time worrying about what a person's opinion of me is. The greatest thing I can do is form an opinion of myself and hold on to that. Fraud and Scams, What to Look Out for on Cape Cod by Rachel Devaney of the Cape Cod Times. 
In early February, a man walked into a Mashpee Citizens Bank with his wife, fervently holding his phone in the air and tensely asking to withdraw $50,000 from his account, said Citizens Bank banker Fenton Solis. Solis discovered the couple was being targeted in a sophisticated financial scam and the scammer was still on the line. The con man convinced the couple that their PayPal account was compromised. To keep their money safe, the caller told them he had locked their funds in a digital account. He then pretended to transfer their call to the Citizens Bank Fraud Department. When the purported fraud department representative picked up the line, the couple was instructed to remove $50,000 in cash from their account. When Solis picked up the cell phone to speak to the caller, the line went dead. We see fraud all day long, but not quite as sophisticated as this scam was, said Solis. The way they lullabied this couple into the transaction was very clever. Scammers target seniors, but also people of all ages, and base swindles on fear and emotional triggers, he said. There are ways to prevent scams, said Darlene Skog, director of the Money Management Program for Elder Services for the Cape and Islands. The program, she said, trains volunteer bill payers to help consumers age 60 or older review bank statements, pay monthly bills, and balance checkbooks. The program was designed to help area seniors pay their bills so they can maintain their independence, but volunteers have also begun helping with scam prevention. Did Solis help secure the $50,000 account hack? Once the couple felt safe, Solis called the Mashpee Police Department, who came to the bank and filed a report. Solis also filed a report with Citizens Official Fraud Department and set up the couple with new financial accounts and debit cards. If the couple had wired the money to another account, it would have been incredibly hard or impossible to reverse the transaction, said Solis. If they had sent the cash in the mail, it would have been gone, he said. Tips and Tricks to Avoid Scams A bank teller will never call a customer on the phone to tell them their bank account has been compromised, said Solis. An authentic bank fraud department will begin with an email alert, he said. If a customer does receive a call from their bank, customers should hang up and either call the bank back themselves or go to the nearest branch to confirm their account is secure, said Solis. You should really be checking your bank accounts daily or at least weekly to make sure everything looks good, he said. Solis has been advising customers to use the tap feature on their debit card instead of inserting the card into card readers. Merchants like gas stations are notorious for being compromised by card skimmers, which steal account information from debit cards once they're inserted, he said. Similar to a chip card, contactless payment transactions use a one-time security code that's unique to that transaction, according to the Citizen's website. This protects payment information from being used for future unauthorized purchases. If it's possible, use credit cards at gas stations or at high-traffic retail areas. That way, said Solis, criminals don't have access to your pot of gold. Skog agreed and said if credit is stolen, it can usually be disputed. About two years ago, we helped a gentleman recover $5,000 from someone who talked him into Christmas gift deals on his Discover card, said Skog. A great way for people to keep their financial accounts secure is by enrolling in the money management program, said Skog. Skog said program volunteers recently helped a consumer cancel a Netflix account she didn't know she was paying for. 
The volunteer spotted it and helped the consumer obtain a credit and cancel the charge, said Skog. Program volunteers also help clients push back against high-pressure phone sale calls for appliance and medical equipment warranties. One woman who had recently recovered from a stroke was talked into purchasing a warranty over the phone that cost $200 a month. The volunteer helped cancel the warranty and get a full refund, said Skog. The number of scams throughout the Cape is skyrocketing. Romance scams and grandchild-in-jail scams are versions of the same thing, said Skog, and use emotion to prey on vulnerable people. Several men involved in the program have lost thousands of dollars to people who are pretending to be in a relationship with them. In other cases, scam callers will use personal information they find online and pretend to be a grandchild or a loved one of a senior in the community who needs to be bailed out from a local jail. They'll instruct the victim to send the bail in cash to an address which they associate with a police department or house of correction. The sad thing is that people feel embarrassed when they've realized they've been taken, she said. That stops them from seeking help from the police. Another scam Skog said to look out for is people pretending to be contractors or some kind of handyman, said Skog. Someone had a person knocking on their door telling them their house was on fire and they needed to check their chimney, said Skog. Our volunteers can help deal with those situations when they're present with the client. There was a lull in scams during the pandemic, and now things have worsened, said Skog. While the elderly are highly vulnerable, nobody is immune from a scam, said Skog. If it sounds too good to be true, it's a scam, she said. These scammers are gifted at what they do. Toppled trees from high winds cause Cape power outages by Heather McCarran of the Cape Cod Times. More than 1,000 Eversource customers on Cape Cod lost power early Thursday as the storm blew through New England, primarily from the upper to mid-Cape. According to power outage numbers reported for Bounceable County, the height of outages, 1,512, occurred about 4 a.m. The two largest outages were in Falmouth and Hyannis, according to Eversource. Close to 600 customers in each town lost power, said Eversource spokesperson Priscilla Ress in an email Thursday afternoon. She cited high early morning winds toppling trees onto power lines as the cause. As of 1 p.m., she said, almost all customers on Cape had power restored. Customers can stay up to date about outages and Eversource's response activities by viewing the outage map on Eversource's website. Massachusetts voters get early start on Super Tuesday, state reports, by Sam Drysdale of the Statehouse News Service. Less than a week away from Super Tuesday, about 8.1% of Massachusetts voters eligible to vote in the presidential primaries have cast their ballots, state officials said. Secretary of State William Galvin's office released the latest voting update Wednesday, showing that 400,049 Bay Staters have voted for a preferred presidential candidate in the 2024 races. Of those who have submitted their ballots, 268,776 voted in the Democratic primary. 126,604 voted for a Republican candidate and 4,669 for a Libertarian. Alvin's office reported 754,145 ballots so far have been mailed out to voters, of which 368,594 have been returned. Early in-person voting turnout stood at 31,455 people as of Wednesday. 
Early voting for the primaries will run through Friday, March 1st, today. There are nearly 4.94 million voters registered to participate in the March 5th presidential primary. Saturday, February 24th, was the last day for voters to register to vote in this year's primaries. A push to allow voters to register and cast votes on Election Day again fell short in the legislature last session. New manager proposed for Trader Ed's in Hyannis after June firing by Rachel Devaney of the Cape Cod Times. Dateline, Hyannis. Wayne Kirker, owner of Hyannis Marina and Trader Ed's Restaurant, appeared in front of the Town of Barnstable Licensing Authority on Wednesday for approval of a change of restaurant manager from Jared Payne to Samuel Hicks. Trader Ed's former manager, John C. Shea, was fired in June after a video of him appearing to verbally accost a black man on Main Street in Hyannis went viral. On September 25th, the State Alcoholic Beverages Control Commission approved Payne as the new manager for the seasonal restaurant. Payne has decided to take a job at a car dealership instead, Kirker told licensing authority board members. Kirker has owned the marina since 1977 and built Trader Ed's in 1990. Hicks is one of three people, including Payne, who had been considered for a management position at Trader Ed's, Kirker said. During the hearing, Interim Deputy Director of Asset Management and Licensing, Aaron Logan, asked Kirker to withdraw the change of management application without prejudice and then resubmit a new application for Hicks. Kirker agreed to do so. If Hicks is approved by the licensing authority, he will manage Trader Ed's this summer. The restaurant is currently closed for the season, Kirker said during the hearing. The criminal case against Shea, brought in connection with the viral video, is pending in Barnstable Superior Court. The incident, which began late on May 31st and extended to early June 1st, leaves Shea facing charges of three counts of threatening to commit a crime, assault to intimidate based on race or color, assault and battery to intimidate based on race or color, a civil rights violation, and intimidation of a witness. Shea is white, and the person who is alleged to have been assaulted, Milian Phillips of Medford, identifies as Jamaican and Armenian. Phillips's foot was injured in the incident. Shea pleaded not guilty to the charges during his July 27th arraignment. Shea will return to Superior Court on April 11th for a final pretrial conference. It's the first Friday of the month and time for Sara Lee Peril. Thank you for being a friend columnist throws herself birthday bash. I have the happiest story to tell you about. One morning before my recent birthday, I was lying in bed thinking it will just be another day. Nothing special will happen. Then I thought, you could invite a few friends over and make it special, you know. So I emailed a couple of pals who were happy to come. Now, you all know me, so you won't be surprised that I skyrocketed into insanity. When 35 friends said yes to my invitation, I nixed the idea of a gathering at my home and arranged to have the party at Nano Pizza, Cucina, and Bar on Main Street in Hyannis. My pal Ann Condon said, I'll be in charge of balloons. Kathleen Kilmartin said, I'll be in charge of flowers. Sheila Gary said, I'll come early and help. Dolores Deleuze said, I'll put up the decorations. I called Donna Hammers, who joyfully agreed to favor us with her amazing voice and keyboard. 
I ordered corsages of yellow roses from Paramount Floral Designs. I made gift bags filled with mini Sara Lee cakes, bubble blowers, slinkies, silly putty, Play-Doh, cookies, chocolates, and balls of slime, of course. And so, on my birthday, February 9th, Nano's rocked. During the spectacular affair, my partygoers sang to me in unison words from the theme from the Golden Girls. Thank you for being a friend. Traveled down the road and back again. Entranced by the love enveloping me, I was in the center of a sea of smiles. Your heart is true. You're a pal and a confidant. Each love of mine had a look that said, I can tell you anything. You will be my friend for the rest of my life. I'm not ashamed to say, I hope it always will stay this way. Can you imagine how it felt to receive this outpouring of affection? Feeling so emotional, I couldn't say one word. Though eventually I did, you'll see in a minute. Donna had us up from our chairs, singing, dancing, and blowing bubbles as my dear ones sang, My hat is off, won't you stand up and take a bow? I did, of course, while blowing kisses around the room. We had pizza, an antipasto, and a gigantic cake that had, It's Sara Lee's birthday, on the top. I had asked our favorite Cape Cod Times columnist, Larry Brown, to grace us with a toast. I said, please don't make the toast to me. I'd rather it be to my friends. So Larry spoke from his heart. What we're doing today is all about friendship and Sara Lee. He said, I can't think of anybody I'd rather have in my corner. Looking at the size of this crowd here today proves my point. We are all here to celebrate Sara Lee, our love for her and our love for each other. I couldn't help but cry. He said thousands of people reading her column feel like she's a friend, too. Larry's right, you know. When I write, I'm talking to you, my faithful reader. Larry had everyone entranced as he said the word beloved is the right word to use. In 1630, a preacher in Plymouth said in his sermon, To love and to live beloved is the soul's paradise on earth and in heaven. He raised his glass to me, to someone who loves very, very well. Through joyous applause, I heard, Amen, from all corners of the party room. But then I heard that dreaded word, speech. My dress was caught as I tried to stand up. Four friends helped me. Here I am at age 73, I said, needing all of your support. I heard, that's the way to go, Larry said. That's what you do for us. Maria Deleuze said, we got you, girl. Others rang out, go, Sara Lee. With that kind of encouragement, who couldn't make a speech? Boy, I stammered, for a person who's supposed to be good with words, I'm completely at a loss. While everyone cheered me onward, someone called out, don't tell us you're speechless, Sara Lee. I wasn't brave, I was scared. But damn, was I determined to get a message across. I fumbled through every word. Today is not about celebrating my birthday. I saw faces filled with curiosity at that and compassionate understanding. As you might know, the past two years have been hard for me and my sweet husband, Bob. With my friends there, I saw memories of tear-strained nights, some joyous moments, and years of shared truths. Today, I avowed to my cherished ones, is about celebrating you. 
I said, to every single person with me today, I could not make it without you. I am blessed to have you in my life. You are my life. Every one of you has made a difference for me. With unexplainable calm, I said, to each of you, I say thank you. And with more tears, with all of my heart, I then took my seat. Everyone stood and cheered. Applause filled the room as I heard, way to go, Sarah Lee, and woohoo, and a heart rendering, we feel the same. As Donna played her keyboard, my forevermore chorus of people I love sang to me, and if you threw a party and invited everyone you knew, well, you would see the biggest gift would be from me. And the card attached would say, thank you for being a friend. Award-winning columnist Sarah Lee Peril lives in Marston's Mills. Her column runs the first Friday of each month. We've reached the halfway point of our program, and regular listeners are aware that at this stage of our broadcast, we move to the obituaries. The first obituary today is for Dean Harlow Jeffs, Dateline Centerville. Dean Denny Harlow Jeffs of Centerville died unexpectedly on December 4th, 2023. Denny served his country honorably in Vietnam, and we thank him for that service. A military service will be held in his honor on April 26th at 1.45 p.m. at the Massachusetts National Cemetery in Bourne. Many local residents knew him as the Dowses Beach Gate attendant, a job he truly enjoyed for the relationship he developed with community members. Gerald Grant, Dateline Pocasset. Gerald Vaughn Grant Jr., age 86, of Bourne, passed away on January 28th with his wife Cheryl at his side. Gerald, better known as Jerry, was born to the late Gerald and Grace Turner Grant on June 17, 1937, in Waterville, Maine. Jerry graduated from Roxbury Memorial High School in 1956. He then served in the U.S. Navy from 1958 to 1962, and we thank him for that service. After working a few years, Jerry relocated to Richmond, Virginia, where he earned a business degree from Virginia Commonwealth University in June 1970. He also earned a teaching degree from VCU in August 1994. Throughout his entire life, Jerry loved working on and restoring antique cars. While living in Bourne, Jerry was an active member of St. John the Evangelist Catholic Church and was an altar server for a number of years. Jerry is survived by his wife, Cheryl Grant, his son, Matthew, and his stepdaughter, Kate. Services will be at St. John the Evangelist in Pocasset on Wednesday, March 6th at 10 a.m., with burial at the Massachusetts National Cemetery at 11.30 a.m. In lieu of flowers, please make a donation to St. John the Evangelist. Arrangements by the Nickerson-Bourne Funeral Home on MacArthur Boulevard in Bourne. Moving to the Ask Carolyn column, it's headlined today, Mother-in-Law Sees World Through Lens of Her Rigid Diet. Dear Carolyn, I've always found my in-laws stressful, particularly my mother-in-law. She is consistently negative, follows an extremely rigid diet, and is critical about everything we eat if it doesn't fit her diet. My husband and I have been doing IVF, part of a grueling multi-year saga. He shared this with his parents, and next time we saw them, I got an interrogation, including her proclamation and diagnosis that my infertility could be due to my normal non-rigid diet. 
She was extra critical of everything she saw me eating after that. I kept my mouth shut because I've been conditioned to make nice with them. My husband frequently says his parents think I don't like them. Trust me, I try my hardest, and they are very sensitive. But my husband did not understand my frustration at all, which surprised me. She means well, what's the big deal? Just ignore her. This came up again, so I asked him to let his mom know not to speak to me about my diet, but he thinks that's stepping in for me inappropriately. The idea of being that vulnerable with her after what happened is abhorrent to me. I also think it would be a huge mistake, given her extreme sensitivity and conviction that I don't like them based on not visiting enough. I imagine speaking to his parents even less will cause problems too. I can't imagine eating in front of them again. What to do? Signed Anonymous. Dear Anonymous, it's based on your not liking them. Well, her. Feel any better after reading that? I felt unburdened just typing it. Your mother-in-law has astonishing boundary problems and, I suspect, more than a touch of an eating disorder. And you're in a raw place with infertility treatments, all complicating your in-law encounters. But the baseline problem still is that you dislike your mother-in-law and don't feel empowered to live that honestly, not even in the privacy of your marriage. It's a boot on your chest. And your husband couldn't fix it by telling mama to back off, but he did clear your path to step in for yourself appropriately. You'll have no peace until your relationship with your mother-in-law is honest. That means standing up for yourself when you'd rather not poking at sensitivities you don't want to inflame, just as you feel maximally strung out. But it's either that or the fake smiles and food harassment status quo, which doesn't sound sustainable. Two plans to choose from when you're ready, superficial plan A or go for it plan B. Plan A, she criticizes your diet. You immediately, I know you care, but this is stressful. I won't discuss my diet. She reacts. You respond, please respect my wishes. She pushes. You say, excuse me, I have to go work my spindle or sing with woodland creatures and then leave. Plan B. You tell your mother-in-law, I must seem standoffish and I'm sorry for that, but here's why. I don't like to analyze what I eat. Diet is obviously important to you, so I've tried to meet you halfway, but I'm afraid my discomfort shows. In fact, especially now, I would deeply appreciate not talking about my body. Deal? If she doesn't cooperate, then use A, which is all you. No one's cooperation required. Either way, once you've drawn your line, hmm, next topic. Runners at the Ready, Hyannis Marathon Returns to Irish Village by Frankie Rowley of the Cape Cod Times. Marathoners, lace up those shoes and head down to Hyannis for the Hyannis Marathon that sets off from the Cape Cod Irish Village at the Emerald Resort at 10 a.m. on Sunday, March 3rd. Since the 1970s, the Hyannis Marathon has looped the area's beautiful beaches and through the famed Cape Cod Village and neighboring villages. A Boston Marathon qualifier, the marathon attracts runners from across the state and beyond, eager to earn a spot in the coveted race. For many years, it was a staple Boston Marathon qualifier. Paul Collier, race director for the Hyannis Marathon, said, It was actually, for a very long time, the last qualifier in New England because it was the last Sunday in February. 
The Boston Athletic Association usually waited to see who qualified in Hyannis before they closed out, if they closed out. Alongside the marathon, three other races, the half marathon, 10K, and marathon relay race, will also set off at 10 a.m. from the Cape Cod Irish Village at the Emerald Resort, which is having a deal for marathon weekend of $129 a night with code RUN24. Participants in each race will run on the same course, but with modified paths depending on the race. The 10K, for example, does not extend into Centerville, covering only Hyannis and Hyannisport due to its distance. Participants can register online at hyannismarathon.com or try their luck registering on the day if any of the 2,000 bibs Collier has set aside for the races remain. Registration fees vary depending on the race. I have 2,000, so if I sell the 2,000 bibs, I've sold the 2,000 bibs, Collier said. Outside of the races, Bill Rogers, four-time Boston Marathon winner and four-time New York Marathon winner, will be hosting a signing and meet and greet at 2 p.m. on Saturday, March 2nd at the Emerald Resort, followed by a pasta dinner party with Rogers and Dave McGillaray, race director for the Boston Marathon, at 6.30 p.m. Tickets for the pasta dinner party are $22. It's a nice little economic boost during the kind of dreary, rainy days, Collier said. It gives us a little influx of people that are excited to be on the Cape. A 5K fun run, sponsored by Hanlon Shoes, will also take place at 7 p.m. tonight, followed by a complimentary dinner and beer at the Cape Cod Irish Village at the Emerald Resort. For a full list of events and more information, go to the Hyannis Marathon's website. What on Cape Cod this week? Women Pirates at the Osterville Village Library. Our nautical history tells us of the swashbuckling pirates who roamed the seas in search of fortunes, but did they ever mention some of them were women? Jessica Shepard from the Wider Pirate Museum returns to the Osterville Village Library for a lecture about some of history's most famous female pirates, such as Anne Bonny, Mary Reed, and Lagertha, at 11 a.m. on Saturday, March 2nd. The talk is free to attend, but participants are asked to register in advance by contacting Amy Wolf or calling the library. Mardi Gras Jazz Brunch at Wellfleet Preservation Hall. While Mardi Gras takes place at the start of February, who said the party can't run until March? The Wellfleet Preservation Hall is hosting a Mardi Gras-style jazz brunch fundraiser at 11 a.m. Sunday, March 10th at the hall featuring the Brad Conant Collective, and performances from Sue Goldberg, Ken Field, and Matthew Hutchinson. Brunch, booze, and king cake. Tickets are $50 per person and can be purchased online at the Wellfleet Preservation Hall's website. Rainbows on the Wing, a dragonfly lecture at Cape Cod Museum of Natural History. You may have seen dragonflies buzzing around your whole life, admiring the intricate patterns on their wings or their graceful flights. But have you ever wondered how the beautiful insects came to be and why they're an important part of our ecosystem? As part of its Gardening for Life speaker series, the Cape Cod Museum of Natural History hosts Blake Dinius, entomologist and educator at Plymouth County Extension for Rainbows on the Wing, 
creating landscapes for dragonflies. In his lecture, Dinius will go over what makes a dragonfly a dragonfly, from how they've evolved as a species to how we can create a better home for these insects. The lecture begins at 1 p.m. on Sunday, March 3rd. Tickets are $20 for non-members and $18 for members. To purchase tickets and for more information, go to the Cape Cod Museum of Natural History's website. Auditions for Nuts at the Barnstable Comedy Club. The Barnstable Comedy Club is hosting auditions for its upcoming production of Nuts on Thursday, February 29th, which was yesterday, obviously, today, March 1st, and tomorrow, Saturday, March 2nd. They're looking to cast nine roles, six male and three female, with auditions open to men and women ages 25 to 65. Actors are asked to read from the script available for pickup at the Sturgis Library and Hyannis Public Library for their audition. A full list of roles and descriptions can be found on the website of the Barnstable Comedy Club. Auditions begin 6 p.m. Sorry, that was last night, today, and tomorrow at 4 p.m. and will be held at the Barnstable Comedy Club on Main Street in Barnstable Village. The production is scheduled to run from May 2nd to 19th. St. Patrick's Day Parade, What to Know About Cape Cod's Celebration by Frankie Rowley of the Cape Cod Times. The Cape Cod St. Patrick's Day Parade returns to Yarmouth on March 9th, hopefully with clearer skies. Last year, it rained. In preparation for the big event, Des Keogh, chairman of the Cape Cod St. Patrick's Day Parade Committee, talked about everything you need to know about this year's 19th annual parade. This year's theme is myth and music with a fitting grand marshal, the Wolf Tones. The famous Irish band will be leading the parade prior to their show in Boston later that evening as part of their farewell tour. The band, celebrating 60 years together, has announced plans to retire in 2025. They're really friendly and outgoing guys, Keogh said. They're just great. Last year, even in the pouring rain, they got out and walked in the parade. Why is the Cape Cod St. Patrick's Day Parade a week early? The original Cape Cod St. Patrick's Day Parade took off from West Dennis in 2005. The parade was a dream of Thomas McCann's, founder of Barnstable's chapter of the Ancient Order of Hibernians. But he died before the parade could come to fruition, according to Keogh. Nineteen years ago, close to 20 years ago now, the committee got together to have his dream become a reality, Keogh said. They started a tiny little parade committee group, and it just grew and grew and grew. Initially, the committee decided to host the parade a few weeks early in order to secure talent for the festivities, since many were booked out for the holiday. But as the parade grew in popularity, groups started coming to them, and they settled on their now annual date. Right now, it's an ideal situation, Keogh said. The week before St. Patrick's Day is great. How many people are expected at this year's parade? During a good year, Keogh said he expects anywhere from 40,000 to 50,000 people, noting that the parade has become the third largest in New England after Boston and Holyoke. It's generational, Keogh said about the crowd at the parade. You've got grandparents and grandkids all together as a family unit. Generations of them all together join us. It's fantastic. 
Even in the rain, the crowds still show up. During last year's festivities, the rain might have poured down on the parade, but the crowd didn't let it dampen their spirits. We thought it was going to be pretty empty, Keogh said. If you see photographs, there were people lined the whole way along. People had tents set up and rain jackets on. It didn't deter anybody. No one canceled. Everybody played in the pouring rain. What will happen during the St. Patrick's Day Parade? Last year, the parade saw around 120 groups partake in the festivities, and the committee spent $75,000 to throw the parade. At the time of this article, a full list of parade participants was still being finalized, but Keogh said they're on track to spend the same amount, if not more. I know it sounds corny, but I, I mean, everyone says the corny cliche, but when you see the people really happy, that's it for me, Keogh said. Of the confirmed participants, many returning favorites, such as the Yarmouth Minutemen, the Ancient Mariners Connecticut Fife and Drum Corps, and the Irish American Police Association Pipes and Drums, are set to grace the parade route again on floats or on foot. The Ancient Mariners wheel the cannon and they fire it, Keogh said. They walk in their bare feet like pirates, no matter what the weather, and they fire the cannon every so feet, every so many feet. It's going to get televised this year for the first time, professionally televised. What about food? Where to eat during and after the parade? Plenty of restaurants line the parade route, but if you're looking for proper Irish food, check out the Old Triangle or the Celtic Kitchen. The Old Triangle, Keogh's Irish pub on Main Street in Hyannis, will also host a pre-parade party on March 8th and a four-course Guinness dinner on March 3rd. Tickets for the Guinness Dinner are $60 and can be purchased online at the restaurant's website. What time does the Cape Cod St. Patrick's Day Parade start and what is the route? The parade sets off from the intersection of Route 28 and Long Pond Road in South Yarmouth at 11 a.m. on March 9th. The whole parade lasts for two hours, traveling two miles through downtown Yarmouth, ending at Higgins Crowell Road. Parking is available in several lots along the route, including the one at the Old Drive-In Theater, according to Keogh. The Muse in Provincetown will open March 1st at a new address, Here's Why, by Gwen Friss of the Cape Cod Times. The Muse Restaurant and Cafe in Provincetown has opened every year since 1964. So when a snag in kitchen renovations threatened the Muse's 60th season, Co-owners Ron Robin and Edmund Teo leased a temporary space a tenth of a mile down the street at 386 Commercial Street. Then the staff moved lock, stock, and lion carving above the bar to the Muse's temporary location, which is scheduled to open today, Friday, March 1st, in the space that was formerly Spindler's and part of the Waterford Inn. Have a pop-up restaurant noses the muse at the Waterford, Robbins said. In our new home, there will be elements of the menu, but we cannot do the full menu because the kitchen space is much smaller, he said. Two dishes that are fixtures on the muse menu, shaking beef and muse vindaloo, will be available during the year-long lease, Robbins said, along with daily specials, vegetarian and vegan choices. The vindaloo is spicy, but not outrageous, Robin said of the Indian dish known for its levels of spiciness. 
We used to kid that it came with extra socks because the Vindaloo would knock your socks off. Another change is that the lease space has only 50 inside seats compared to the 120 in the Muse's location under construction at 429 Commercial Street. Robin said he and Tio are working with Muse chef Carlos Milan to explore the possibility of serving lunch or light afternoon fare in the temporary restaurants 90 or so outside seats. But for now, the Muse will be open and accepting reservations 5 to 8.30 p.m., or so, on Tuesdays through Saturdays, Robin said, with hopes of opening daily for dinner and adding lunch service if enough staff can be hired. Back at 429 Commercial Street, construction workers were installing a new kitchen floor in the waterfront restaurant and some additional kitchen equipment, Robin said, when the owners learned a structural study would be required. Robin said the structure was originally built as a house in the 1860s, and became a restaurant in 1936, which had been shored up with tree trunks that had to be replaced with steel and other modern construction materials. Robbins said he and Tio have been working with the Federal Emergency Management Agency, or FEMA, on flooding prevention and mitigation for the historic property. In terms of what customers will see when the Muse reopens for the 61st season, Robin said there will be more seats, 143 up from 120, because the first floor apartment is being moved upstairs. There will also be cosmetic improvements to the entrance. Run by former Boston radio personality Rockin' Ron Robin, the Muse is a Provincetown fixture that draws regulars as well as celebrities over the summer. Robin, who legally changed his name from Ronald Polcari, not from the restaurant family, said he generally didn't approach guests at dinner, but did stop to chat with tough guy actor Jason Robards. He said, the tuna is good, and nothing else, Robin recalled with a chuckle. Fourth Barnstable District Seat, Who is Running This Year? by Eric Williams of the Cape Cod Times. The House seat for the fourth Barnstable District is up for election this year. The primary is September 3rd, and the general election is November 5th. The deadline to register to vote, update your voter registration, or change your party is 10 days before any election or town meeting. As of February 25th, two people are running for the seat. Michael Herman, a Democrat from Orleans, and Hadley Luddy, also a Democrat from Orleans. In January, State Representative Sarah Peake, a Provincetown Democrat, announced that she would not be seeking re-election in the 4th Barnstable District. What were the issues in the last election? During the last election, a key issue in the campaign was affordable housing. What are the anticipated issues for 2024? Ray Gottwald, chair of the Harwich Democratic Town Committee, said affordable housing was front and center. You have to put affordable housing at the top of the list, said Gottwald. We need to find a way to keep younger families on the Cape. In an email to the Times, Peter Hughes, chair of the Harwich Republican Town Committee, weighed in on an important issue in the race, writing, it's all about housing, wastewater, funding, and replacing the bridges. This position consists of the towns of Chatham, Eastham, Harwich, Orleans, Provincetown, Truro, and Wellfleet. The Massachusetts House of Representatives is comprised of 160 members, each representing a district of approximately 40,000 people.
as required by the Massachusetts Constitution, the House may not adjourn itself for more than two days, meeting year-round in either formal or informal session to introduce, consider, and vote on legislation. Massachusetts legislative salaries in 2023 started at $73,655.01 per year, plus fifteen dollars to $20,000 for expenses, depending on how far they live from Boston, according to National Conference of State Legislatures. Legislators in leadership roles receive more pay. State legislators in both the House and Senate serve in their roles for two years. All seats are up for election in years that end with an even number. Peek, the current office holder, announced she would not be seeking re-election. Both Herman and Luddy have said they plan to run for her seat. Herman is chair of the Orleans Select Board. He mentioned his support of the issue of housing after his election in 2021 to the Select Board. Luddy is CEO of the nonprofit Homeless Provincial Council in Orleans. Campaign finance records from the Massachusetts Office of Campaign and Political Finance as of February 28th show that Michael Herman has provided a $1,000 candidate loan to open a campaign account. No finance information regarding campaign finances was associated with the candidacy of Hadley Luddy as of February 28th. OT aims to help airline passengers with disabilities by Josh Rivera of USA Today. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg unveiled a new proposal Thursday aimed at improving air travel for passengers with disabilities. Under the proposed rule set forth by the Department of Transportation, airlines would be mandated to adhere to stringent standards, guaranteeing prompt and dignified assistance for passengers with disabilities enhanced training protocols for airline staff and their contractors, coupled with specified actions to safeguard passengers and their wheelchairs during transport, aimed to underscore the DOT's commitment to safety and accessibility. It's an important part of how we change the way that airlines operate and change the way that travelers with disabilities can move around the country and around the world, Buttigieg said during a call with media. This news complements a range of actions by the Biden-Harris administration to make transportation more accessible, including launching the first Bill of Rights for airline passengers with disabilities and publishing a final rule that will increase the size and accessibility of airplane bathrooms. The proposed rule would cover wheelchairs and assistive devices as defined by the DOT, such as crutches, canes, walkers, prosthetics, and hearing aids, among others. During USA Today's year-long series highlighting the people behind airline damage to wheelchairs, over 30 respondents said some version of the phrase, breaking my wheelchair is like breaking my legs. What does the proposed rule do? Penalties for mishandling wheelchairs and other assistive devices. The proposal would make those mishandlings an automatic violation of the Air Carrier Access Act, allowing DOT to more easily penalize airlines and hold them accountable when a passenger's mobility device is damaged. It would also require airlines to promptly repair or replace damaged wheelchairs and provide a loaner. Safe assistance. The rule would require enhanced airline employee and airline contractor training 
that includes hands-on training for those with physically assist passengers with mobility disabilities or handling passengers' wheelchairs. This includes the prompt return of a delayed wheelchair to the passenger's final destination within 24 hours. Improved standards on planes. The rule proposes improved performance standards for onboard wheelchairs on twin-aisle aircraft and small aircraft, and notifications about loading and unloading a wheelchair. This is about making sure that both the physical safety of passengers and the physical condition of mobility devices are contemplated and dignified, Buttigieg added. The announcement has already garnered widespread support from Assistant to the President, Stephen Benjamin, Senator Tammy Duckworth, a Democrat from Illinois, disability advocates, aviation workers, and stakeholders convening for a discussion at the White House. This is really about helping passengers be better empowered to make use of the rights and protections that they already have, Buttigieg said. CDC, this older adult should get new COVID-19 shot by Eduardo Cuevas of USA Today. The CDC recommends that people stay updated on their vaccines, especially people with weakened immune systems. Older adults should get another COVID-19 vaccine booster this spring the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention said Wednesday. CDC Director Mandy Cohen endorsed a recommendation by the agency's advisory committee that adults 65 and older receive an additional updated dose of the vaccine that became available in September, as long as it has been at least four months since their last shot or three months since a COVID-19 infection. Most COVID-19 deaths and hospitalizations last year were among people 65 years and older, Cohen said in a statement. An additional vaccine dose can provide added protection that may have decreased over time for those at highest risk. The advisory panel's decision came after a lengthy discussion about whether to say older people may get the shots or if they should do so. Earlier this season, CDC recommended immunocompromised people should get the same additional booster. COVID-19 remains a danger, especially to older people and those with underlying medical conditions. There are still more than 20,000 hospitalizations and over 2,000 deaths each week due to the coronavirus, according to the CDC. And people 65 and older have the highest hospitalization and death rates. The CDC and the advisory committee will continue monitoring COVID-19 vaccine safety and effectiveness, the release said. The CDC recommends that people stay updated on their vaccines, especially people with weakened immune systems. The recommendation comes ahead of a likely summer wave of COVID-19 infections. An uptick in cases has happened every summer since the pandemic began. And that's all I have time for today. This is your reader Libby saying thank you for listening.